Welcome to The Disability Track, a podcast that explores the lives of those with disabilities and long-term health conditions in the UK. Hello and welcome to the third episode of The Disability Track. We're really sorry that we had to miss an episode last month, but we had a lot going on and Steph managed to get away and have a lovely holiday in the US, which is cool, but unfortunately it meant along with that and everything else, we just couldn't get an episode out to you guys. But we're back this month. Well, I'm back. Unfortunately, we are Stephless because she's not feeling very well, so get well soon, Steph. So it's just going to be a bit of a short episode and then hopefully next month it'll be the two of us again. This month we have a lot going on news-wise because of Brexit and there's a lot of panic about prescriptions and medicines and obviously people with disabilities or chronic illnesses, a lot of us take prescribed medicines. I managed to dig out a Guardian opinion piece by Ash Soni who is the president of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society so I think he's taken into consideration bias there seeing as he is a pharmaceutical worker but it still is super super interesting. Essentially, he is saying that Brexit could be awful for people who have prescribed medicines, and that's the complete opposite perspective that the government are taking. So you've got Matt Hancock, the health secretary, who's saying, you know, don't panic, it's going to be fine. Don't panic, don't stockpile. Ash Sony says that medicines benefit from free movement across Europe and any sudden changes, which Brexit is, that has the potential to create huge, huge problems. There'll be delays at ports, there'll be increased costs, there might be legal or regulatory differences. And I think to those saying that, you know, well, Brexit could be a good thing because that means it could increase UK's manufacturing capacity. UK will manufacture more, more medicines, will become more self-reliant, it'll be good. Ash says that will take so much time. Long term, that might be great, but at the moment, that's not something that will happen. He ends on a kind of cautionary note. He says, finally, if you are a patient or carer, hoarding medicines is never a good idea, as if your prescription changes, nothing you stored at home can be reused and is wasted. Instead, talk to your pharmacist. Their aim is to do their best for you and those you care for. Getting frustrated with them will not help you or them. Only by collaborating can we ensure we continue to meet everyone's needs. According to the BBC, 45 million packs of medication are exported every month to the EU and the European Economic Area. The European Economic Area is EU countries and Norway, Liechtenstein and Iceland. 37 million packs of medicine are imported from that area every month. UK-based pharmaceutical company AstraZeneca have told BBC that they have a safety net and that they're increasing their drug stockpiles at the moment in preparation for a no-deal Brexit. Two other big companies, Sanofi, which is a French company, and Novartis, I think that's how you pronounce it, Novartis, which is a Swiss company, also say that they have plans to increase their own stockpiles. And the official line from Health Secretary Matt Hancock is that the government are working with the pharmaceutical industry to prepare for the potential need for stockpiling in the event of a no-deal Brexit. This includes a chain of medical supplies, vaccines, medical devices, clinical consumables and blood products. So moving on to the interview part of the disability track, I spoke to Katie John Went, who is a Norwich-based campaigner, activist, writer, and so much more. We spoke about invisible illnesses, the effect that it has on Katie's life, myths about invisible illnesses, the intersection between being trans and having an invisible illness, and a lot more. So 
really hope you enjoy the interview. How would you describe your job role? Are you an activist, a campaigner, writer? Because you do a lot. Yeah, I wear many, many hats uh, around uh, gender, mental health, and, and I'm also a creative. I'm a writer and a photographer, so uh-huh. I'm involved in many things. But yeah, activist, campaigner, and very definitely a creative. Awesome. And you live in the city of Norwich, which is where I live, and I came across you. I've actually come across you several times. So like at World Women of the World, you were on a panel. I saw you talking about Brexit. So like I've I've, I've like been watching you from afar, but you you've only. Are like you my stalker? Fascinating. I am your stalker. <laughs> this is what this is how we meet. Yeah, I I, I I'm often as I say wearing the many hats, and sometimes I'm talking about I could be talking about art or talking about Brexit, as you just mentioned, or mental oh. health or gender, and you know, and I was walked into a charity shop only this week and someone said oh i saw you on tv last week and then i said oh was that about this and they said no and i said oh was it about that and they said no and then they said it was about the other thing because i, I keep being on about different things and sometimes people think yeah any excuse no it's not that yeah i'm just passionate big... about many many things that's the difference there you go yeah and like just having a platform of visibility that spreads spreads messages mm, absolutely well yeah that is very important because um i don't mostly i don't turn down opportunities because even if i walk in with one hat i can often plug the other hat and sometimes it brings opportunity to causes or people or situations that don't get the same airtime so i i could you know infamy you know you need you can use it for many positive causes yeah that's true that's true Right, so this episode, we're obviously focusing on invisible disabilities or slash invisible illnesses. And um, we've had a chat about this before. Could you explain um, the invisible disabilities or chronic conditions that you have? Yes, I have um, several. And they and they cut across because, I mean, people, when you think about disability, the first thing that people come to mind is, you know, blindness or wheelchairs etc and people often don't realize or that there are invisible disabilities but they also make an assumption that they'll be physical rather than necessarily mental and yet in the realms of healthcare um, services and definitions it covers both so yeah my invisible ones probably to run through a small list I probably have four or five mental mental health uh, conditions mostly all with three letters that I collect I have mad bad gad and sad which are mood affective disorder, bipolar affective disorder, generalised anxiety disorder and seasonal affective disorder. And I love the fact that I can rattle those off the tongue, mad, bad, gad and sad. I know, you're, you're, you're pretty much a rapper. She's <laughs> <laughs> freestyling on the podcast. And so they're the kind of the main mental health ones. I also suffer from insomnia and I don't know whether people would class that as a mental or a physical, but it's, it covers both, absolutely. And... On the physical side, I have arthritis, osteo, and also a congenital unfused um, spine at the L5. That's your lower back. And so I have back pain that goes L4, L5, and into S1 at the base of the spine. Humour is is a healing slash survival technique to these things. And, and sometimes you have to laugh at your own conditions. And I've also a history of suicide uh-huh. attempts. And again, with that, I laugh at it, you know, I laugh at my incompetence at it. Mm. That, see, I bet that makes people uncomfortable, though. What, talking about suicide? Laughing about suicide, because talking about suicide makes people uncomfortable, but do you find that laughing about suicide makes people feel uncomfortable as well? Oh, I have to. What, the people who've attempted it, Mm -hmm. tried it, tend to be much better at coping with the Mm humour of it 
people who can't cope with the humour of it are the grieving relatives who've uh... lost someone from a successful... I, I hate the language of attempt, commit, succeed. Mm. Someone who takes their life and the people who are hurting from that are the people left yeah. behind. The yeah. person who's uh, completed a suicide attempt... Um, they're re- they're in relief. I totally agree with you. I totally agree. With you. So, what would you say the worst thing about having an invisible illness is? <laughs> the perceived judgment that when you seem to be doing okay, that you haven't got oh any. Oh my god! Yeah. The, the the fact that when you're in some form, I mean, with my bipolar and it's rapid cycling bipolar as well, and and also my arthritis and both my bipolar are affected severely mm. by the darkness, by the weather, by the winter. Mm-hmm. That it means that in the summer when I'm walking around or when I'm yeah standing out in front of two thousand people and ranting about Brexit, people think, "Oh my God, Katie's so full of beans, so full of yeah. life." You know, marched up and down Norwich, the steps of Norwich City Hall, and then they hear me on see me on Facebook complaining about not being able to walk twenty yards mm. today because pain in my in my right leg um, or something like that. And they think, "What pain? We've never seen you with a stick." Yeah. I have four sticks. It's just that. I tried not to use them, and in fact, the pain in my of the arthritis in my right hand is now so bad that I can't use a stick anymore because I can't apply downward pressure into either a conventional walking stick grip or even the Fisher um, ergonomic grip, which I transitioned to. So I've actually abandoned using sticks most of the time, which has meant alternative ways of getting around. So suddenly everyone thinks that I'm yeah, fine, okay. and I've also gotten ways of, how would I describe it, ways of managing and adjusting and accommodating etc so for example in Norwich there's a set of steps called St Lawrence's Little Steps between St Uh Benedict's and the street below it and I can't Uh walk up them and there's a rail it's not the fact that there's a rail it's the fact that by the time I get to the top it takes me five minutes six minutes to walk up 20 steps at the top I'm breathless and I'm in agony so I'd rather walk 200 yards more to avoid steps Uh And I don't have necessarily what you would call a recognised disability that means I need to use escalators and lifts, etc. Because it's not the fact that I'm in a wheelchair or that I have crutches or regular sticks. It's the fact that when I walk up steps, the front, the putting pressure and weight on the front half of your foot is where my arthritis I see. is. I see. And my toes can literally collapse because then my back comes into play mm-hmm. because my nerves can, if I twist wrongly, my nerves can get pinched and like, all of the messages that go to the right-hand side of my body, almost, um, remove all of the the weight-bearing and the force-generating aspects of it. I've asked you what the worst thing about having an, an invisible illness is. What's the best thing? Oh, <laughs> that is a really deep question. What's the best thing? Well, actually, it's it's probably sad and wrong okay but the best thing is that i pass for able-bodied and sane i'm a transgender person as well it's something i can't turn off my voice my voice my secondary sex characteristics and my name and everything are all a complete jumble of gender queerness so wherever i go i'm outing myself as gen as gender gender transgender gender queer gender weird everything all at once i can physically occasionally pass as absolutely able-bodied until I try and do something sometimes. And same with my bipolar, I can have moments of complete functionality, creativity, professionalism, you know, sanity, etc., where I can stand up in front of people and go, oh my God, they're amazing. And they don't realise that the next day I will then spend four days in bed recovering from having done some public speaking because I will have to mm-hmm. retreat 
to a semi-comatose state, curl up with my ten cats and a glass of whiskey mm. and hide from the world. Yeah, no, I would say the same thing because I've got Crohn's disease and you couldn't tell that I'm ill unless um, I lifted up my top and you saw my stoma bag, which is on my belly. So, I, yeah, I think probably the best thing about having an, an invisible illness to me is passing the privilege of being able to pass. And it's hard, that, which, <laughs> like I said, is sad. That responsibility, I think, sometimes that when you're in a situation to stand up for those that can't hide their disability. So that's yes. why I'm an advocate yeah. of honesty and always calling attention to the fact that I have these um, disabilities, mental and physical, not as a sense of mm -hmm. saying I'm trying to prove that I have them to other people in case you can't see them. I want to recognise that, you know, I've got access to certain privileges, but also if I've got a voice, then I'm going to use it, stand up for those who haven't got a voice. Yeah, great. You mentioned that you're transgender. Do you think there's an intersection between being trans and being disabled? Ooh, yes. For example, it is alleged a number, a number of reports seem to support it that um, people who are autistic are three to four times more likely to be trans as well. Bipolar, there's a higher degree amongst trans, etc. So there are comorbidities, in other words, the additional existences of other conditions alongside gender dysphoria, for example. What I would regard as, okay. uh, as another intersection is the fact that, for example, if you're trans, that's hard enough. And if you add yes. a disability to it, whether it's um, a mobility-based one, um, a, 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 a visual hearing impairment-based one, a neurological spectrum-based one, or other mental health issues, it's doubly mm -hmm. hard. And also, I think myself as trans, I spent, I mean, I'm in my um, early 50s now, although I don't behave it, and I don't identify as old. <laughs> in my early 40s, <laughs> I spent six or seven years maybe even eight years, addressing my gender identity question. And while I did that, okay. I could not focus on my other mental health issues, nor my physical health issues. So the gender yeah. was the top of the pile to address and also consumed my whole daily life. Mm. Okay, so to end the interview, I'm going to do a quick fire round. There's loads of like lists on the internet, like things you shouldn't say to people with invisible illnesses. And like, there's so many that I've read and I'm like, yep, yep, I had that said to me. So I'm just going to read a few and you've just got to answer just the response that you'd have if someone okay, said Okay, how I would reply yeah? to them if someone said, okay. Yes. All right. Okay. But you look so good. Why, thank you. The second one is you need to change your diet. Oh God, I've heard that so many mm -hmm. times. And also my partner's a nutritionist. What would you say to your partner? Um, do you want me to? Do you really want me to stop cooking all those lovely, <laughs> really amazing foods for you? Okay, third one. It's all in your head. Ooh, ooh, yeah. But everything that's in my head affects everything that's in my body. Too. Oh, I'm gonna use that one. And so I think that works both ways. You know, what is negative in your head will affect your body, but also what is positive in your head can affect your body, and also what's in your body will effing bleep. Oh, I'm taking notes and using that. We're, 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 we're holistic people in for for good and for bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, As you can tell, I I don't tend to kick down the people who say those things. I tend to build upon it and throw in humour and respond that way. Yeah. I yeah. I think that's a great way to deal with it. Uh, you mentioned you have insomnia, and so if someone says to you, "You have insomnia." Uh, I know the feeling. I didn't sleep well at all last night. <laughs> Oh, God, yeah. Okay, my response is, yeah, but I've had it for 47 years. Because <laughs> um, I, I think it was around age five I got oh. it, and I've never lost it. 
And yet I've got used to sleeping on three hours a night Mm -hmm. or spending an entire night for 11 hours waking every 40 Mm. minutes. But yeah, so uh, yeah, someone who's had a bad night that week, someone who has to do the early morning news shift or whatever, Mm -hmm. then yeah. But the thing is, though, it's all relative to the individual, all of our issues. Now, my ability to cope with insomnia has become very good. So therefore, Mm -hmm. a couple of bad nights, not an issue. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's trying to find balance. Yeah. All right. Always remember that it could be worse. It could be cancer. Oh God. Um, yeah, that's the. It's like, but that's the big no-no word. You're not allowed to mention the C word. And mm. actually, again, this is the thing I meant to said. It's it's relative. It's pain is relative. Um, in, impediments are relative. So yeah. there are heroic people who cope with cancer. There are people who survive and people who who die from it. I think everybody's condition has to be treated relative to their circumstances and never judged by anyone else's standards. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great answer. And the last one is, uh, well, have you tried super magic hypno charcoal paleo phoenix feather therapy? The answer is probably yes, I have. (laughs) (laughs) There are, then I might also respond, but I'm currently working through whiskey therapy, kitten therapy, um, food therapy and art therapy. And they're way more fun before I stick needles in myself. All the therapy. (laughs) Yeah. I will try anything if it works. Great. Oh, thanks so much. Like, this has been really informative, really fun, and just opens up the world of invisible illnesses and how they're perceived. So thank you so much for coming on. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. So how can people see your work or reach you? Like, what are your social media handles? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm a complete open book. Um, so people can find me on... You can search You can search for me via Google. You'll find a TED Talk out there several documentaries and various other things or you can just go to my website um, katyjohn.com k-a-t-y-j-o-n.com and find me from there 